Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijin. Gather round, children, and listen to a tale about four badass chicks from the Moulin Rouge who only want to know one thing. Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? If you thought you were having a good day, I'm here to ruin it for you by informing you that today's season five finale is dedicated to celebrating the 20th anniversary of a singular pop culture moment, the song Lady Marmalade. This once-in-a-lifetime mashup of pop divas coming together to absolutely kill a single for Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge is just a moment in time. And I agree with that tweet that goes around all the time that says the 90s were 10 years ago and the early 2000s were like five years ago. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I I know math. So I am shocked that it is the 20th anniversary. What is your relationship to this song and the movie Moulin Rouge? Although we're not going to really talk about Moulin Rouge. That is truly its own episode. And maybe it'll be its own series with like the... Red Curtain trilogy of Baz Luhrmann's, but what is your relationship to this? Sure. Uh, I definitely remember, I think I saw this in theaters or at least saw it at watching a sleepover. And then of course this music and the song, I remember listening to frequently watching the music video and even having it on one of my VHS tapes that I made of just like a mix of music videos. I don't know about you, but like I recorded music videos on VHS cassettes and just had like much like a mixtape. I had a mix video cassette. How about you? Oh, I definitely did that. Like there were also (laughs) video VHS tapes that were like separated into categories, right? Like just music videos that I liked, like the honey music video was definitely one of them. And then music videos that I want to learn the choreography to that I would gather that we, I mean, I wasn't even the only one, like I had a group of friends where our whole thing whenever we got together was that we would teach each other or try to learn a music video dance routine like Britney Slay for You. And in rewatching this music video, I remember that we learned the choreography to this song as well, <laughs> which is so deeply inappropriate for like a bunch of seventh graders to be doing. But that's 
fine. Um, I love the song. I love the making of the music video. I think it was one of those things where it's like right place, right time. Loved Christina, was just trying to get into like rap and hip hop, was like obsessed with Little Kim because she's like one of the first female rappers that I had really gotten super into and really liked her and thought that she was just like this larger than life personality. And Maya was just on the come up. I can't say I've ever been like a fan of Pink's music, but I do like, it's one of those things where like, I like Pink's voice, but I don't really like her music doesn't necessarily speak to me. Like I'm not upset she's there, but I'm also not like, oh my God, Pink, what? So I thought the whole dynamic was really fun. And little did I know that this was sort of like ahead of its time, but also of the moment, or as Wendy Williams would say, they had a point they were iconic, legendary, and the moment. Yes. But because watching the music video and the Grammy performance, you can see Christina's future in the cinematic masterpiece, also known as Burlesque. And I also see <laughs> yes. the top four of every RuPaul's Drag Race finale performing Completely. their super girl group song, right? Yes. And I mean, so the emphasis here over and over again was just like, wow, this just like set a precedent for yeah. everything. Pussycat, like everything. Pussycat yes. dolls. Supergirl. Yeah. Supergirl super girl groups. groups. But I mean, I have to say that like people have tried to, I think it's more successful when you don't try to duplicate this yeah. mashup exactly, i.e. don't call me Angel, aka don't call me Angle, the 2019 Charlie's Angels song uh, that was Ariana Grande, Miley Cyrus, and Lana Del Rey. Like that just was like too many disparate too many. styles. It Like Lana Del Rey sort of like throws off the whole thing. Like was Demi busy? I don't know. Or even like Selena Gomez might've made more sense. Either way, people have tried to like do something more, you know, directly taking from the style of Lady Marmalade. And it hasn't really quite worked out the way that this has. Cause I also think this is like the golden age of, soundtracks and Baz Luhrmann yes. was also sort of on this role and was known for his singles and soundtracks from his movies and even elevating the songs to a whole new level. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, this was just like the last of the golden age of soundtracks. I feel like just, you know, two, three, four, five years later, I think really the last soundtracks I think of when I think of iconic soundtracks are maybe like across the universe and Juno, like, and that was 2007. So that's really the last bit. But I feel like the real golden age was right around this like 2001 period. I can't tell you the number of soundtracks I owned during this time. Like, I'm pretty sure I owned this one. I owned Save the Last Dance. I owned, like, there was just one after the other because people were putting that emphasis on having a great CD soundtrack to go with a movie. I'd also add like what you were just saying in terms of the influence that this entire like song, iconic music video, costuming, all that made. I mean, the emphasis when I think about it now is just like they were doing something that hadn't been done very much in the music world until that point. Idea of women being strong feminists who could choose what to wear, what they wanted to wear, would choose things that would normally be reserved for women in the backgrounds of music videos at the time. What you might be maybe call like a video vixen is pretty powerful and that for them to have the power in their hands was great. And this is before we saw like Megan Thee Stallion, Cardi B, Lizzo, Ariana Grande, many other people doing this very frequently in their music videos and in their stage performances. And especially for someone like Christina 
Aguilera, for example, you were very much packaged a certain way at that point, and you weren't really supposed to deviate from that, maybe get a little more risque, but to go from one extreme to another was not done. And I just have to say, like, I think it's 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 crazy that it, this was 20 years ago, but I also respect and understand why we're still very much talking about this 20 years later and why there are a number of pieces about it. I mean, other than it being empowering just because of the song's message, I think one thing that really struck me in doing the research was that I, the repeating motif for all four of them was that they all jumped at the chance to just work with other women because yes. they were so used to featuring on songs with men or they were a solo artist and would have another rapper come in and or would have another man from a boy group come in or whatever it may be. And so they were all very invested in working just with other women, period. And we're really excited by that. And I think that that still also sadly rings true today that a lot of women are like excited whenever they see a room of other women that they get to work with because it is maybe it's more commonplace now, but it still is difficult to come by. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, the director of the video was a man, but the choreographer was a woman. The costumer, the costume designer was a woman like this. It's there was so much behind the scenes that was still being done by women. And I appreciate, I think that also helped, you know, create the atmosphere um, that would allow the four women to really shine in this video. And like what you said, you know, they were so used to being in kind of male dominated worlds. And Maya even really said in um, one of the articles, the billboard one that kind of goes into the oral history that she loved feeling like she was in a girl group and she had never really experienced that before. Um, she spent a lot of time, you know, as a solo artist on the road by herself and, you know, had people working with her, but ultimately to have other women who had experienced the very same thing as her made her feel so at ease. Well, let's get into it. I'm going to start with the making of the song, which was originally recorded by Patti LaBelle's girl group LaBelle in 1974 and was a hit. It spent 18 weeks on the Hot 100. So this is just sort of the hype that they have to live up to. The Moulin Rouge cover of Lady Marmalade, for this reason, would have to be bigger in every single way. Bigger hair, bigger voices, personalities. And so it might surprise you, as it did me, that this actually all starts as Baz Luhrmann's idea. I guess it shouldn't really be super surprising since he's writing high up the success of the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. But he specifically wanted to commission a cover of Lady Marmalade for his big budget Oscar bait film. And he wanted them to put together an A-list group of pop divas. So after his meeting with the newly appointed A&M Records president, Ron Fair, who had produced the Pretty Woman soundtrack, Fair's boss, Jimmy Iovine, put Fair in charge of putting the track together. First, he enlisted Missy Elliott and then later Rockweiler as a producer. Missy was hot off of Get Your Freak On. Maya was the first one to get signed to the track. She was signed at Interscope, uh, Iovine's label at the time as well. Christina, who was signed by Fair, so she agreed next. And before he knew it, Pink and Little Kim had rounded out the supergroup. Or, as Rolling Stone likes to describe it, quote, the most exciting multicultural partnership since Aerosmith and Run DMC joined forces for Walk This Way. (laughs) That is like a perfect Rolling Stone sentence, and I will leave it at that. But the goal, which kind of comes across now that you kind of have, you know, 2020 hindsight on it, was to create a cohesive package between the song, the video, and live performances. So first... 
Missy and Rockweiler had to give the disco classic a contemporary touch by amplifying the bass and adding some hip hop inflections. Missy also tweaked the lyrics from He Met Marmalade Down in New or- Old New Orleans to He Met Marmalade Down in Old Moulin Rouge. In early 2001, they began to record the track, already knowing which verse was for who. Despite this, they each recorded the entire track individually so Fair could isolate the singer's ad-libs to build a perfect anthem. This approach, whether intentional or not, ended up contributing to the tension slash rumored feud between Christina and Pink. Choreographer Tina Landon and Little Kim corroborate that, the, that there were notes of tension between the two. This would lead to more speculation, like that Christina tried to swing on Pink at a club, which Christina denies by saying, quote, I wouldn't swing on her. She can beat my ass. <laughs> In a 2009 episode of VH1's Behind the Music, Pink placed some of the blame on Fair's approach to the studio. Quote, he didn't say hi to any of us and said, what's the high part? What's the most singing part? Christina's going to take that part, she explains. And I stood up and said, hi, how are you? So nice so nice of you to introduce yourself. I'm Pink. She will not be taking that part. I think that's what this fucking meeting is all about. Of course, Aguilera did take that part. The song was released in April of 2001, one month ahead of the movie's release. And by June, the single had hit number one and stayed there for five consecutive weeks during Moulin Rouge's theatrical run. Lady Marmalade was one of the top selling songs of 2001 and has sold and sold 5.2 million copies at the end of 2001. It would go on to win Video of the Year at the MTV Music Video Awards and a Grammy for Best Pop Collaboration. But before all of that, on March 17th, the ladies of the Moulin Rouge would all finally come face to face for the first time for two days to shoot a music video in L.A. So it's funny you bring up the two days because there are conflicting accounts. So that uh, article in Cosmo says it's two days. And then an interview with Trish Somerville, the costume designer for that music video, she says she remembers it being like three to four days. So I'm wondering if there was like some post production, you know, reshoots or whatnot that kind of came to that point. Or it could be pre-production instead because if you're pulling all the costumes and you're doing fittings and all that maybe it was two days of actually shooting it and maybe two days or maybe one day of pre and one day of post production as well that makes sense for sure um the video was directed by paul hunter who we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast but just to refresh you all He is best known for directing Mariah Carey's Honey music video, Can't Hold Me Down by Puff Daddy featuring Maze, Notorious B.I.G.'s Hypnotize, Usher's My Way, Everclear's Father of Mine, Holes Malibu, Jennifer Lopez's If You Had My Love, TLC's Unpretty, D'Angelo, Untitled, How Does It Feel, Janet Jackson's Get Lonely, and several of Aaliyah's videos. And by the way, I literally copied and pasted this list from my Janet Jackson Velvet Rope Notes because it was so exhaustive. Yeah. I just rewrote a, th- a few things, but really this list is just, I mean, it's such a crossover of like so many episodes we've done on this podcast. Um, additionally, the choreography was done by Tina Landon, another big name from our podcast. She began her career as a Laker girl when Paula Abdul was the choreographer and was later hired as a dancer for Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814 tour, which should be noted, that's when Paula Abdul was behind a lot of Janet's uh, Rhythm Nation choreography. Later, Landon would do the choreography for Janet Jackson's Janet and Velvet Rope tours and the music videos during that Velvet Rope era. She's also known for doing the choreo for Ricky Martin's Live in La Vida Loca, Maya's Case of the X, and Michael and Janet's Scream music video. 
She got the call to work on the video from Ron Fair, who was, as you said, Christina's manager who discovered her because she had actually been choreographing. She had been doing the choreography for some of Christina's videos. The biggest challenge for Landon was that these four, apart from Maya, who is a trained dancer, and Christina, who had done some dancing here and there, they aren't all four, though, major dancers, which is who she was used to working with in the past, uh, given her roster. Lil' Kim came to the set and clearly had not been expecting to learn choreo and was really, it wasn't really her thing. Pink uses a chair as a prop in the video, and actually it's a stool, but she and Landon agreed very early on that they were going to keep it kind of light on that chair usage or stool usage because the Stronger Music video by Britney Spears had just come out, which extensively features some chair dancing, also you know, inspired by Landon's choreo from Rhythm Nation, which Janet Doxon does. And then the costumes were designed by Trish Somerville, who's had an impressive career. Uh, We hadn't talked about her as much on this show, but she's actually behind a lot of the Christina Dirty look. So uh, she starts her career working as an assistant to Michael Kaplan on the movie Long Kiss Goodnight, later would work on a commercial for David Fincher, who she will continue to work with later. She would then, she served as the costume designer for several of the other performers' music videos, including Christina Aguilera's Dirty Music video. And she's actually responsible for the assless chaps and uh, Pink's Just Like a Pill music video, which was directed by Frances Lawrence, who would then bring her uh, in to design the costumes for the. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Movie Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and Red Sparrow, which both star Jennifer Lawrence. Later, Somerville will serve as a costume designer for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Mank, which she just got an Oscar nod for. Um, She actually did a great interview with Fashionista, which is where I got a lot of this info. The video, of course, opens with Missy Elliott welcoming us to the Moulin Rouge as our MC, and then goes into showing all four performers in lingerie in this cabaret-style video. Each woman has a prop or a set of props, so Maya has a whip. Pink has a stool, Lil' Kim has a fan, and later a glass of champagne and a diamond necklace that has a B on it with a, with a crown, which I don't know what the B stands for. I don't know if it's like bitch or like, I don't know. But And then Christina Aguilera has her, cl- her gloves. 
each woman sings or raps their part going back and forth between the cabaret stage and then their backstage scene. So you have Maya who's being laced up by some ladies in waiting ladies or, or uh, wait, uh, they're supposed to be like costumers, I guess. Pink is doing this seductive dance on a bed. And then Lil Kim is on a settee posed a la draw me like one of your French girls, except in this case, she's supposed to be one of the French girls. Which, by the way, makes me think there's a whole alternate universe in which Jack from Titanic was, in fact, hanging out with women at the Moulin Rouge. And Christina is just getting her hair brushed and makeup done, except I don't know how she's brushing that heavily crimped hair. They're dressed very sexy in lingerie. But as Christina pointed out in an interview, it's not sexy in the sense of wanting to please men. Like, there's a bit of that. But they're almost wearing like drag queen levels of makeup and they all have crazy hair accessories and there's a lot of glitter and bedazzling. It's all very much for them and having fun. The video was filmed in LA with sets that were built to resemble the actual Moulin Rouge and the turn of the 20th century. So behind the scenes, Like you said, the music video marks the first time these women were meeting each other because they had recorded their parts on the track separately. Somerville has talked about how this was before music videos were unions, so they were shooting on like 20 to 22-hour day schedules. And the last day, she says, might have been about 24 hours. Oh, my God. I know. And so, and it sounds like they were doing, obviously, the dressing of all these women, but then they were also doing a bunch of repairs because, like, with those kinds of costumes with elaborate beading and detail and that kind of thing, I'm not a costuming expert, but I just know from a few years in the theater, um... By that, I mean a high school department, Uh, that these things tend to fall apart if you're doing like heavy choreo and, you know, with lights and everything. I'm sure things had to be re-sewn. They didn't have very much prep time or budget, but she said it was all in all a really fun shoot. Much like you mentioned earlier, there are talks about the tension on set between Brittany and Christina. Tina Landon said in an interview that there was one point where they had a little moment uh, where they argued, but it wasn't that big of a deal all in all. By all accounts of this of these retrospectives, the four women and uh, the people who worked with them acknowledged that they were all very professional on set. And that the accounts around the drama on set were brought up by publications because, of course, people wanted to pit these women up against each other. And that that comes up a lot. I mean, throughout these retrospectives, all the women continuously say over and over again, this was one of the first times where they felt really empowered on a set, really able to do their own thing and felt really excited to at the opportunity to work with people who experienced what they had experienced. Um, And fun fact, the video actually used some props and costumes from the movie. So you'll see little things here and there. Ultimately, though, the video is iconic. I mean, we're still talking about it today on this podcast. Um, And it was a lot of fun to rewatch. I don't know about you. I hadn't seen it in a very long time, but it was great to rewatch and just have a lot of fun and remember just like how many Halloween costumes this inspired over the last 20 years. I had not watched the music video I can't even tell you the last time I watched right? it. The song is still such an earworm, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize it. And they're just, even the part when little Kim starts singing like, hey, sisters, go, sister. It just, I don't know. It just is like so catchy. You immediately kind of like are entering the Moulin Rouge like mentally. Um, I really appreciated the music video as a rewatch. I remember loving the making of it more than I actually enjoyed the video itself because I think, I don't know, there was just a lot of personalities and like it was this big set and they were trying to figure out ways 
to tie it to Moulin Rouge with also making it its own thing. And I remember there was like a lot of discussion that we got to see about like those the props that you had mentioned as well. So I remember that was like a really good episode of making the music video. But we also, as we said, or as I said earlier, this was like supposed to, this was conceived as like a whole package deal. So we've talked about the song, we talked about the music video, and Emily and I went back and rewatched the Grammys performance and the MTV one. Mm -hmm. And they were really fun. They only did these two performances during the song's run. And at the Grammys, they also won that year. So that was lovely. I don't know. I think chronologically the Grammys would be first if you want to go talk about that first. Uh, yeah, actually. So turns out it was um, it was actually the the. Oh MTV. no, it's the reverse yeah. because yeah, that's in September. Yeah, so so the- and then the Grammys are like in February, March. Let's talk about their performances on the stage. Yes. Um, what interested me the most was how much the MTV one was its own thing, very cohesive to the movie, but reminded me so much of Madonna's performance at the VMAs for Vogue in the early 90s. Oh. Period costuming. The the, the performers are not in all white uh, like Madonna was in the Vogue uh, performance, but there's still all the background dancers were in complete white, much yes. like in this performance. That was really striking. Actually, that's fun that you brought that up because I thought that in terms of stage production quality, the MTV one seemed sort of like they just took the set of the music video and then mm-hmm. took it to the MTV performance and it sort of felt pretty much the exact same and the Grammys kind of felt more dynamic there was like a staircase but the Grammys also had a I thought there was like a glitch there was like a part at the beginning of pink singing where they were all kind of singing over her and it sounded like it was Mike perhaps problems some, yeah some sort of mistake because there's also another mic issue that happens kind of later on but I thought the band kind of obviously elevates it right to a whole other level when you have like a live band versus like a backing track, like at MTV. Yeah. But both were like great performances, but it's hard to top Patti LaBelle. Yeah. I was going to say when you bring in Patti LaBelle, it just like makes it all the more iconic, which I really love just like hearing about that. And LaBelle was, Patti LaBelle was interviewed in a few of the pieces and she talked about like how much fun she had doing that and how sweet the women were, especially Pink who had like sent her flowers at one point because they're both from Philly. And like ultimately that performance, I think with Patti LaBelle just is amazing. And I just really, really enjoyed it um, seeing all sorts of power. It reminded me of something you'd see on like VH1 Divas, which was, you know, another iconic thing we'll have to talk about at one point. No, that's so true, though. That was kind of the essence of the Grammys performance, at least to me, was that it was like, wow, this really feels like an episode of Divas Live. I don't know why we don't have those anymore, because those are also sort of the closest that you'll kind of get to this a bunch of A-list pop divas singing together in any sort of capacity. And I don't know why we don't just revive that show since we revive literally everything the fuck else. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it doesn't make any sense why we'd leave this behind. I mean, doesn't Paramount Plus need some fucking programming? Like, come on, you guys. Let's get on this. (laughs) But anyway, I loved the Grammys performance, but I thought that, I mean, each performance was, like, perfect for the venue that they were at, right? Like, I think that Mm -hmm. they each fit a particular style. But I did like your poll about the Madonna um, Vogue performance because all I could see was it looks just like the music video. Yeah, and it was was kind of fun because I feel like – 
you know, especially with the MTV Awards, like you still have good performances, but I feel like that year, 2001, 2002 is like, apart from like the Britney performance, which everyone looks forward to every couple of years when she does get to perform on, on one of the MTV award shows. Um, I feel like the, the iconography, if you will, no, that's not a good word, but like, you know what I mean? Just like how iconic those performances are. It's just nowhere near what it used to be. And maybe that's me, you know, coming in as like old person with nostalgia, but I feel like there was just such an emphasis put on those performances back then that you just don't, hear about them quite as much as you used to. Right. I think in one of another, another common statement that people were making like across all of like the retrospectives was that there, this was like a viral moment before viral Mm -hmm. moments were Mm -hmm. even a Mm -hmm. thing. And that's also the thing about going viral, right? Like you cannot replicate it with any sort of intention. It just sort of happens. And I think it was sort of a surprise even to me, maybe the most seasoned people working on the track, like Missy, they didn't think that it was going to like blow up in the way that it did. And I, and it still continues to blow up in different ways, whether it's like, oh, we're celebrating an anniversary and we're all remembering how this kind of holds up. Or it's like in the moment where it is just like topping the charts and the music video is everywhere and you cannot not hear the song. It almost, I wouldn't say it eclipses Moulin Rouge, but they are, I mean, they're symbiotic, right? Like if you Google one, there's like, if you start to write Moulin Rouge, it's like Moulin Rouge song. And if you click on that search result, it obviously takes you to Lady Marmalade. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. Excuse me. So- it's still a big song, and I think it's still a high watermark for a lot of the people involved um, in its production, whether they were the performers themselves or even, like, the producers behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think it is very sweet that they all seemed pretty open to doing these you know, retrospectives interviews, like Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of so-and-so declined to comment for this. It's a lot of, no, this was a great memory. This is a real high point of my career. I really love this point in time. And I think really the sweetest part for me is just seeing how much this means to Christina in the sense that this is kind of the beginning of where she gets to take the control of her own career. Right. Um, especially because it does lead into the stripped years and later, you know, her future career. So it is really sweet to see, you know, how much she sees this as that moment where she got to take charge and and call the shots. Oh, I will say, speaking of Christina, the MTV performance, I think they put like too heavy of a lash on her or Ooh, something, but yeah, her yeah, eyes yeah. basically look closed. I can't tell if it's I can't tell if it is the eye makeup or if it's the kind of like heavy forehead headdress thing going on. Yes. But they do correct it by the time they get to the Grammys. And I have to say, I was just looking at my notes about it, but the worst part about the Grammys performance was them cutting to JT at the end of the performance. (laughs) Even with some of the mic issues, you know, pretty good, except for right there at the very end, cutting to Justin Timberlake. Unnecessary. Don't need that in my life at all. No, no. <laughs> I mean, this is sort of on the shorter side, but is there anything else that we need to talk about? I mean, this is the problem when everybody has, you know, happy, warm feelings about things, right? I honestly, I was on the phone with my friend Katie right before this, and she brought up very much that, like, 
this video came out at a perfect moment in time. Like it couldn't have been done a few years prior because it would have gotten more criticism than it already did. And it couldn't come out a few years later because by then that had been done by some other people. It was just like this perfect moment in pop culture history. And like, I don't want to get, you know, feminist scholar on this podcast, but this very much aligns with the shift in how feminism was seen in this last kind of 20 year period of this uh, century, where I think we shifted from, you know, believing that feminism is the liberation of having to wear sexy things and all that to a moment in which feminism can mean wearing whatever you want, be that, you know, pants or be that lingerie. It is up to you as long as you are the person calling shots. Oh my God, are you trying to say this music video is sex positive? Because if you hear that one more time this week, I might scream. (laughs) Between The Bachelorette and Real Houses of New York, I have had it. We're all sex positive. We get it. Chill out. (laughs) I won't say it. I'll imply it. It is heavily, heavily implied. Well, it seems like we have to close the doors to the Moulin Rouge and bid goodnight to these four badass chicks. I also want to, you know, before we get into the whole sign-off mode, want to say that Maya's Case of the X song and music video also still holds up and Mm -hmm. has a cane dance play similar to her whip dance play. So, you know. Enjoy that little tidbit. I just listened to that song over the weekend because I've been binge watching Insecure and it plays at the end of one of the season four episodes. And I remembered every single word. I love that song. Maya just doesn't get enough credit. We need more Maya in our lives. I would definitely agree with that. If there's one takeaway from today is, oh, two takeaways, more Maya. And also please give us the little Kim Nicki Minaj battle. Oh, yes. Versus yes, yes. Do, do your thing, internet. Make sure that happens. Would love that for all of us. Won't won't need this reunion if I can get a Nikki V Little Kim versus battle. That'd be great. Please and thank you. That is my summer wish. And I want to thank all of you for listening, not to this episode, but to this entire season. It was our best season yet, and it's all thanks to you guys. Thank you so much. We'll be back in the fall. And the best way to know when exactly that is happening is to make sure that you subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you listen. Or you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And you can leave us a review wherever you subscribe to us. Or you can leave us a comment on an Instagram post or a Facebook post. And we have a couple of fun minis to kind of bide the time between now and when we come back for season six. So we hope you have a wonderful vaccinated summer. And until the next time we meet again, we say bye-bye. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.